0: This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all in one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and even an online store with the Squarespace Commerce feature. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use offer code TREK6. And also by TrekFan TrekFan isn't just a Star Trek fan club, it's a challenge. You'll explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. To face your first challenge and find out more, head on over to trekfan.org. You're listening to Trek FM. all these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks our dedicated star trek books and comics podcast i'm christopher jones and with me as he is every week is my illustrious co-host matthew rushing matthew what's happening for you over in texas this week
1: oh goodness chris uh it's a massive week for me um now interesting enough and in I was telling everybody I think last week I you know I was going to go to a concert this week. Oh, that's right. And the night the, the the day of the concert um happens and I'm really excited. It's Mumford and Sons. Unfortunately, though, the bassist player has not been feeling good for the last few days and turns out he had a blood clot in his brain. Oh, goodness. And they had a surgery. And so wow. Uh they cancelled uh or they didn't cancel they postponed three shows um and so uh it'll be happening sometime later on, um, but sounds like he was gonna be fine, and yeah, uh, so he's so, okay. the yeah. surgery went fine as, as, as far good. as we know, everything has gone well for them and 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 so yeah, I I just probably won't get to see them until my guess is is later in September because their tour yeah. is pretty back to back. So yeah.
0: Um, well, well, I'm I'm glad they caught that anyway before it got bad. You know, I yeah. had relatives who have had something like that and it wasn't caught, and uh, they survived, but obviously it would have been better to catch mm-hmm. it in advance and just have the surgery. So all right well why don't we go ahead and jump into our news today It's it's been a packed week for me too by the way um for those who haven't heard it yet please go over and listen to the ready room 100 which matthew is with me on co-hosting and we're joined by eight of our fellow co-hosts from across the network and matthew i spent my week editing that show it is a monster show but a lot of fun so yeah um,
1: chris i i just kind of bow down to you and your editing skills because (laughs) i can't imagine trying to put
0: 10 tracks together yeah it was it was crazy i mean 10 tracks depending on what's on the 10 tracks isn't such a big deal but this is 10 tracks of people laughing and talking about star trek for two hours and 15 minutes oh gosh so it was quite a task but but i had fun and and i had a blast talking about Star Trek with everyone and it was so wonderful to get the crew together. We still didn't get everyone together, but we got as many as we could. So everyone go check that out. Uh Trek film slash T R R one hundred. That'll take you right to it. Chris, could we have really
1: though had more people on that podcast? I, I sound like Chandler now from Friends. Could there <laughs> be any more people on this podcast? I, I don't know if um if you really would have wanted to have edited like 12 more people on there. So. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs>
0: there would have been no ready room next week for sure because it would have taken me two weeks to get through all that. <laughs> all right. Well, let's jump into our books and comics news today. First up in books, we have finally, this is something we've been waiting for, Christopher L. Bennett's next enterprise book, Rise of the Federation A Choice of Futures, is going to be in our hands on June 25th.
1: Chris, uh, this is something I'm really excited about. You know, I've been reading uh, TOS books out the wazoo, it feels like. Uh, You know, Pocket likes to front load. uh, Right now, TOS, especially, that Into Darkness came out. But I'm really excited that um, this new Enterprise book has come out. uh, And it's great that... They're going to be continuing the story of these characters. I can't wait to see what happens. Chris Trail Bennett's a fantastic author. I've I've enjoyed almost all of his books. And so um, this comes out on June 25th. So if you are a huge fan of great Star Trek books, really wanting to dig into something that they haven't done before, um, a time period we don't really know very much about at all, this is going to be right after the Romulan Wars, the setting up of the Federation, this is the stuff that I think all Star Trek fans can get really excited about.
0: Definitely, yeah. And it's going to be fun to see we've got a lot of captains. We've got Captain DePole of the USS Endeavor. We've got Captain Reed of the USS Pioneer. And possible surprise, I don't want to confirm this, but possible Captain Porthos of the USS Cheddar.
1: Oh, goodness. Man, he's my favorite of the captains. Uh, And the amount of cheese that he has on the bridge is amazing. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, a lot of jokes. But uh, anyway, it's going to be exciting.
0: His mission within Starfleet is pretty much to transport cheese from planet to planet. And it's a job he's more than happy to take on.
1: It's, It's... exciting. Um, it, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I'm hoping to, you know, what if Porthos and Keenzer joined up and, <laughs> you know, they were both on a ship together, so Keenzer was like the second officer, you know, or the first officer. I would, I think, man, I think we've got something here. This sounds like a great comic.
0: It would make a great comic, for sure. But, yeah, I... Seriously, I don't expect to see Captain Porthos in Christopher's book here, but... Uh, you never know what kind of surprise might be in store for you in Rise of the Federation and Choice of Futures. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that, and you can hop over and grab that coming out again June 25th. So that's all we have in books, Matthew. We do have a few things in comics this week, though, I believe. Well,
1: Chris, uh, this was something, you know, we talked about, I think it was last week, how IDW was going to bring out these uber-expensive editions of the very first issue of Ongoing. And they're really excited about that, but now they're going to do a limited release of Volume 2. They've got some great artwork that they've showed with this black label that's going to be coming out. Um, And it's original artwork. It's really beautiful. Um, Chris, I even put on the show page for you um, the Ohura artwork because it's actually fantastic. I thought you'd really like that.
0: Yeah, you did. I I see that here. It's it's a very interesting sketch style and if I were a collector with some deep pockets to get this type of of stuff for my collection, uh I would love to have that. I I do think that these will be valuable in the future.
1: Yeah, this is this is pretty cool and it's it's strange to me that already They've decided to do another one of these. They must have sold these very quickly um, to to be yeah. able to say, hey, we're going to do this again. Um, not any information just yet on exactly what the black label else is going to be in there, how much it's going to cost. But my guess is it's going to be somewhere around what we've had before. And I do think it's funny that they keep continuing with the black label, blue label Uh, I I just feel like I should get a bottle of Johnny Walker again with this
0: because those are their same exact labels (laughs) well if nothing else you can at least drink some Johnny Walker while you read these uh, limited edition comics
1: oh I I think drinking Johnny Walker with anything I'm reading automatically makes what I'm reading 20 times better (laughs) especially (laughs) if it's like blue label which is about $200 a bottle so yeah (laughs)
0: that's not bad I mean you know if you've got 500 bucks you can get a bottle of blue label and you can get a copy of this limited edition comic
1: yeah that's there you go Chris I just need to start saving my money then
0: (laughs) you need to stop buying spaceships Matthew
1: (laughs) that's true Chris um and sadly sadly enough um I've been on the prowl and seeing how much it would cost to get a really cool superman statue so
0: Mm. There it all know, This goes. reminds me, I haven't gone to investigate this, but we were talking on, probably on the Ready Room, but we were talking about Starship replicas. And of course, everyone knows that you want to have a Defiant. And then at the end of the orb, when we talked about the Defiant, you did your whole announcement directly to Diamond Select. And someone mentioned on Twitter to us that the Franklin Mint did a defiant collectible at some point in the past. And I didn't remember that one. I need to go check that out.
1: Yeah. I, I I will have to look at that. Um, it is interesting that they would do and it, it makes me wonder if it's, um, like a pewter rendition or something like that. Yeah. Um, which those are fantastic, but they don't really fit for me personally, my collection. Um, but great. Um, if, if you really enjoy or have, you know, maybe you don't have any starships yet, but I kind of have all of these in the diamond select kind of genre, like the way they've done that, and so that's really what I'm going for. Um, you know, on, on that, you, the uh, QMX is going to, I think it's it is is going to be doing the um, starship line that you saw in in, in um, Into Darkness. Um, oh, really? Okay. It's going to involve yeah. a lot of the little starships um, and uh, the chronicle of the Enterprise. Um, And so one of those, I think, is going to be the NX-01, a bunch of other starships that you've seen throughout the lineage of the Enterprise. So yeah, anyway, that's just for free.
0: (laughs) That'd be cool. All right. Well, okay, we'll put a link in the show notes to Volume 2 here of IDW's limited Star Trek Ongoing. And then, Matthew, next up, the final thing we have in news today, actually... Is Star Trek Ongoing number 22. And again, we can't really, I can't really look at this at all, even the preview, until I see the movie. I will be seeing the movie on the 25th over at Paramount in Tokyo. Finally, at that point, we will be able to really talk about these After Darkness comics.
1: Yeah, this is supposed to come out next week on the 19th. So uh, on Wednesday. Uh, That's what it's listed as at Comicology's pull list. And uh, so I'm very excited to see what happens next in in this uh, comic series. Hopefully it doesn't get pushed back or anything that does happen. So I'm not promising this is coming out, folks, but this is when it's supposed to come out. And so hopefully uh, next Wednesday I'll be reading this and not tweeting too much about it because I don't want Chris to be spoiled.
0: Right. But after I see the movie on the 25th, the next Literary Treks after that, we'll be able to go back and talk about both 21 and 22. And I know you've been Excellent. very impressed with 21, and I've seen some other people on Twitter who have tweeted that they also were really impressed with 21, really loved this movie sequel storyline that's going on.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's doing some great things. I think it connects well with what we saw in um, Countdown to Darkness it meshes well together with the film as well so putting it all together as a kind of a whole cohesive story it works generally pretty well i mean there are some things um as happens when you have a literary universe and a a film universe there are some discrepancies but you know star trek's full of
0: discrepancies the biggest one being
1: i never forget a face
0: yes All right. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about these with you when the time comes. Before we jump into the feature today, let's take a moment and tell everyone about our sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, a blog, a portfolio. And with the new commerce feature that they added recently, you can even have an online store up and running in just a matter of minutes. And You know, as a designer myself, what I love about Squarespace and the reason that I have been a Squarespace customer for the last five or six years is that they really care about design. Not only is it fast and easy to use and build a website with Squarespace, they have beautiful templates that are designed by professional designers that you can use as a starting point for your website or your blog and really make the site your own. And you do it all using a technology that they call Layout Engine. Matthew, can, can you tell us a little bit about what Layout Engine is?
1: Sure can, Chris. It's really cool. Layout Engine uh, technology gives you the freedom to create a visually rich page that uh, configures the text, the images, the, the products, and, and you know, those content blocks you simply drag your content exactly where you want it and then they'll automatically align them in a perfect grid. And if you're like me and you're not somebody who's really web savvy, this is perfect. Um you know, like you said the layouts are beautiful, and just being able to put things where I want them and kind of rearrange them by dragging and dropping is fantastic. It and does. then what's great about this, Chris, is it's got responsive design. Uh, the Squarespace website has its own unique mobile design so that your site automatically scales so if somebody's looking at it their iphone it's going to look one way if it, you look at it on your ipad it's going to look another and if you look it on the desktop you're going to have that full site but this way people don't miss the content it's created specifically for the device
0: they're looking on which is really important in today's mobile world another thing i wanted to mention this week because we don't really talk about this feature very often is the developer platform because You know, some of you may be listening and you may be thinking that, you know, this drag and drop, it's all great for the average person, but I'm a web developer and I like to have absolute 100% control. I like to write my code by hand. I like to write my own custom CSS. I want to be able to, you know, have FTP access where I can upload and and download files back and forth uh, as I please uh, with a traditional, you know, file folder structure. Well, you can do that with Squarespace as well. In addition to the uh, drag-and-drop system that we talk about most of the time, Squarespace actually does have a developer's platform that gives you complete control over the display of your website. It gives you complete control over every line of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. It has Git and SFTP, secure FTP. It also has version control. That comes standard. It has developer tools like less pre-processing, JSON templating, you know, script comboing. It gives you retina-ready responsive image handling, which is really important these days as more and more displays become retina quality. And uh, and a great thing about the Squarespace developer platform is that developer accounts are free. They never expire while in development. And you can take as much time as you want developing the website before you launch it, and you don't pay anything until you're ready to launch the website. And then once you're ready, the pricing starts at $16 per month when you go live. It's very, very affordable. It's a great way for you to take advantage of all the power of Squarespace that we normally talk about while you maintain complete control as the developer and you're not having to put out money during that development process either. So it's a fantastic option for you if you are a developer and and you think Squarespace sounds great but maybe you you are concerned that it might limit you. Trust me, Squarespace will not limit you. You can do absolutely anything you want to with this platform. And you know, the best thing about Squarespace is that they take care of hosting, they take care of SEO, your search engine optimization, and they give you this incredible CMS all-in-one package And they back it by what is, and I really mean this, the best 24-hour, seven-day-a-week support that you'll find anywhere. Squarespace has always been incredibly responsive when I've needed their help with anything. They usually respond to me in two minutes or less. They have helped me with issues that really weren't even their concern, but they stick with me until I get it resolved. Uh, the, The nicest people, the best support that I've ever experienced With any company, maybe Apple would be the other company that I've had the same kind of experience with, wonderful experience. So go try it. You can try it for free, 14 days. They don't ask you for a credit card. You just give them your name and an email address. They set up the trial site for you using that information. You have access to all the features of Squarespace for 14 days. And then after that, when you sign up, As a Trek FM listener, you can save 10% on your lifetime purchase on all new accounts. And to do that, just go to squarespace.com. And when you sign up, use offer code TREK6 to save 10%. And you'll be supporting our sponsor and helping us bring this programming to you every week.
1: Well, Chris, tonight we're going to be talking about Star Trek Year 4. This is a comic series that uh, IDW started. They actually have two volumes. We're going to be talking about Volume 2. But this was a fantastic idea that they had had of taking uh, the comics and allowing Star Trek, the original series, to see what Year 4 would actually be like and be able to as well continue some of those stories that we had seen in the other seasons. And what was great about uh, Year 4... Part two, it's called The Enterprise Experiment. And this is actually written by TOS writer D.C. Fontana. Um, And so it's a fantastic series, really. Um, It really feels as if you are reading Star Trek Year 4. And I think that's one of the things that um, drew both of us to it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, the fact that D.C. Fontana is writing this, I think really helps this comic a lot as you say, to feel like it's part of the original series and you can tell how well she knows all of the threads that run through the original series because this comic picks up. It's, I think of it kind of as a sequel to several episodes. Now it's a five issue comic and, uh, It has sort of two distinct storylines, but then they all tie together at the end. They play off of the Enterprise incident and the encounter that Kirk had with the Romulan commander and stealing a Romulan cloaking device. Then they also play off, of course, of Mercy and the Organian Treaty and how the Organians were keeping the Klingons and the Federation from war. And then very interestingly, in a very... Unexpected twist for me as I was going through the comic. They pick up on the Paradise Syndrome, which is an odd episode of TOS for me. It always has been. It's that planet where the natives are basically like Native Americans in culture, called the the Amaranth. The planet is Amaranth, and they pick up on that. and And then there's yet another twist that came in, I guess, first through DS9, which is Section 31. And they have mixed all this stuff up together to give us a really, really interesting story that combines the flavor of TOS, because absolutely the voices, it's straight out of TOS, with the the sort of uh, serialized approach to storytelling that we love from Deep Space Nine and Enterprise.
1: Well, and Chris, what is so awesome about this, as well as a series, uh, and when you're reading through it, especially this part two with D.C. Fontana as the writer, is that um, you're also answering a lot of those questions about uh, the future. And so uh, Carol Marcus uh, were talking about... Joanna, who is um, Bones' daughter. Um, We also get to see exactly how it is that the Klingons get a cloaking device. We actually get to see as well how in the world are the Klingons and the Federation kind of still at odds with each other um, when we get to the films but there aren't any organian involvement, and they're they're not interfering anymore. So all of these huge questions that kind of get left open because TOS doesn't have the end of its five-year mission, um, this really helps answer a lot of those questions, and it does it in a way that feels so congruous with what we've seen before.
0: Right. If we consider the TOS when they say five-year mission, if we take that to mean five seasons, which of course there's a lot of debate there, you know, people have done the timeline, they've tried to work it out so that three seasons actually come out to be five years pretty much. It's kind of a convoluted way of, of doing it. But let's just keep it simple and let's just think of it as five seasons. If we had gotten five seasons of TOS, I still don't think any of these things would have been answered because it just wasn't the nature of the show. It wasn't the way they told stories then. So this comic is a wonderful venue for them to go back and for DC to go back as one of the original writers and actually, like you say, answer those questions and tie up those loose threads and really bring that 23rd century world to life in a way that we really have... We never saw it on screen that way. We've really had to rely on novels and comics to do that. But I think these comics do a better job than most of the expanded universe material have done at uh, bringing it to life that way.
1: Well, and there's just something too about, and, and this always happens with a comic that's really well done, is that you can bring it to life because you have the artwork plus you have the text. And unlike a lot of comics these days, this is a really text heavy comic series. It really Um, is. And so you actually are getting a lot of story here. Um, And these issues are long too. These are um, probably 32 pages. If you had them broken up into issues, Um, So they are, uh, it is a very long comic series, putting all five together into one storyline. And so what's actually really nice is reading it this way, is it's set up, if you get the trade paperback, um it's set up as chapter one, two, three, four, oh, and five. Okay. I have so the it,
0: individual comics. So they they set it yeah. up as chapters in the trade. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So um I have the trade paperback. I, I didn't have an iPad at the time um when I got this, and it's set up really well so that it just flows from one issue to the next, and the only thing that lets you know that it's being broken up is the fact that it's it's chapter one um and chapter two. And so I really, really like that.
0: That works better, in my opinion, than the individual comics, because when you go through individually, kind of the, of of course, the end of each comic says to be continued, to be continued. And then after the fourth one, it says to be concluded. And so, you know, it's going to be a continuation, but the opening of each comic has it's kind of some of them are flashbacks to events that happened in the past lives for the characters and if you just pick up in each individual comic you get a little bit uh disoriented at the beginning it's possible but if you were reading them as chapters then it would be a little bit more obvious to you what was going on in terms of the flow of the story
1: so in this this first issue this first chapter um you are having the sequel to the Enterprise incident. Um, the Federation is taking the cloaking device that they've gotten from the Romulans, and they've been working on it through, we'll find out, Section 31 to create a new cloaking device that will work on Starfleet ships and hopefully not be detectable by the Romulans. And that's what the Enterprise is, is doing. Um, Kirk and Spock have been on a shuttlecraft the Enterprise is cloaked under the command of Scotty, and they are flying around uh, a set pattern. Um, there's been a gridded bit of space set out where the Enterprise can be, and the shuttlecraft is trying to detect the Enterprise and see if they can. Um, and of course, what's strange then is you end up with the shuttlecraft. It's it's time they haven't found the Enterprise. They they make the call to Scotty saying, okay, you you win. And they still can't find the ship. There's no response. Um, so it really sets up a great mystery at the very beginning here.
0: Yeah. And, and I love when they finally do get the shuttle bay open. And then in space, you just see this open door with the light coming out. And the shuttle bay there and It reminded me of Star Trek 4 when the bird of prey is in the middle of the park. And just the hatch is coming down. <laughs> exactly. Everybody, remember where we parked. That's right. Which is great. But yeah, this is—it's a very interesting idea. And I guess on television, we we never saw the Federation developing any type of cloaking technology until the Pegasus in season seven of TNG, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And uh, so it's very interesting to see, you know, why does Starfleet never go down this road again? Um, Why, you know, they steal the cloaking device from the Romulans, obviously for a reason, but then they actually never do anything with it, um, as in creating their own cloaking device. Right.
0: I mean, of course, they're barred by treaty, that they they can't develop, the Federation cannot develop cloaking technology, which I always thought was insane. I mean, why would you agree to terms of a treaty with an enemy where you agree that, okay, you guys, you can keep your cloaking technology and you can continue to enhance it. That's fine with us. And we agree that we will not develop cloaking technology of our own. It just seems like an insane agreement for the Federation to make. But, of course, officially they're barred by treaty from developing cloaks. Now, in the comic here, it's Section 31 that is behind this. And in The Next Generation, it was still, they never really say it's Section 31, but it was in kind of a secret project that was going on, an unofficial project that was going on.
1: Well, and, and and just by kind of retconning a little bit in your mind, it makes so much sense that it would be section 31 behind right, does. this. Uh, yeah. And uh, so I really like that inclusion. Uh, one of the things that I really like in, in the beginning of this comic, though, is that um, Kirk is really introspective here at the beginning. And uh, he has actually um, had a conversation, apparently, with Carol Marcus. And it's left in, it's left him shaken. Uh, it's it's left him um feeling uneasy and not quite himself. And and what's interesting about it is that Spock and McCoy have been talking behind Kirk's back about this situation with their captain and, and it doesn't really necessarily make Kirk the happiest captain right now, um, that this is happening, but obviously it's their responsibility uh as uh, officers To talk about the well being of their captain. And, you know, they're the only two who can do that on the ship. And I just, I like that this is, you know, you're kind of getting a Kirk. This is the fourth year. Um, You know, this is part two of the fourth year. So we're getting a Kirk who is getting a little bit older. Uh, And things like, you know, finding out he has a son all of this kind of stuff is is going to start to come into play in his life. And we never got to see that before. And it's, it's just done really, really well here.
0: Yeah, it really is done really well. It's a lot like the movie Kirk, as opposed to the original series Kirk, somewhere in between, but yeah, that a bit more thoughtful, a bit more introspective character here. And, and I, when I think about Kirk, even again, I grew up with TOS. That's what I watched for years and years before TNG was ever around. Um, Of course, we had the occasional TOS movie, but those original series episodes, that was Star Trek for me for so long, and that was Kirk. But now when I think about Kirk, the Kirk that I think about first is always the movie Kirk. It's always the Kirk from the Wrath of Khan on through the Undiscovered Country.
1: And it's funny because I I really, I I see that Kirk as well, Um, just that his attitude towards life, everything that's happened to him, I, I really see that Kirk. Um, and I think it's a great Kirk. And I like that we're finally kind of getting the answer in this comic of, of what it was in Kirk's life to kind of um, transform him into that man. And see, he becomes a guy who has a lot of regrets kind of start to really pile up in one of them is uh this relationship he has with Carol and and the sorrow that he has, I mean, of not really being a part of uh his uh his son's life. And and you know, Chris, we talked about uh on the orb this week with John Tenuto about fathers and sons and their importance. Uh here you see this thing and this part of Kirk's life that we haven't really seen before that he's disappointed that he's really not a part of his son's life. It it bothers him. Um, and uh, I, I like getting to see that because it actually, um, you know, when you first found out that Kirk, you know, is a father in Star Trek Two, kind of comes off a little bit as a deadbeat dad, like he didn't really care right. too much, you know. And then and it, it works itself out by the end of the film. But reading this, it brings so much more now when I watch something like... The Wrath of Khan, where I see that right. this really has bothered Kirk for a very long time.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking, too. This really does enhance what we see in The Wrath of Khan and then, of course, in The Search for Spock when David is killed. Uh, this background to that really fills in a lot of the blinks and and makes you see Kirk's reaction in, in a different way. Now, of course, again, we're retconning here because when William Shatner acted in those films and had the scenes with David, of course this wasn't around, but at least if you want to kind of complete the characters yourself, you actually can use this to help see something new in those films.
1: Well, Chris, um, just in
0: general, what do you think of, of
1: this story? You know, they, they get back to the enterprise. Nobody's there. Um, they find out that, uh, the enterprise itself is phasing because of the way the cloak, it works. That's been created yeah. by Starfleet. Um, what do you think about that? Cause, cause uh, you know, if you're phasing how, how in the world and, and things can go through you, how do you actually stay on the ship? Then I don't, can you explain that to me? <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, we've seen that on The Next Generation. We've seen it on Enterprise, where characters are out of phase and they can still roam around the ship. Uh, but, they, they but it, yeah, it's interesting because what usually happens is that people can pass through doors and they can pass through walls if they're walking horizontally, but they don't fall through the floor, right?
1: Right, and that's <laughs> that's really what's happening here, too. You know, you, yeah. you can... You can shoot somebody with, or, or you know, they can try and pick up something in their hand, pass through it. But, but then they're, you know, standing on a deck. Yeah. And maybe if you're phased in some way, you're kind of like Superman. You can float, so you can just choose what deck you want to be on. That's that's it. That's how it works.
0: That must be it. That must be it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I like the concept here. It's interesting. It sets up a great mystery. Uh, don't try to think about the science or the engineering behind it because your head will explode if you do that. Uh, but I could see this working as a television episode as well. So it's not its not one of those things that can only work in a comic or maybe on an animated series. I mean, I can see this as an actual episode of Star Trek and this great mystery about where is everyone, the fact that they're kind of out of phase now the whole process of how they are able to communicate. Now, A-Rex is back, and and I, I like it when they bring him in because he's one of the most popular characters from the animated series, and I think it's because finally in TOS there is a character, a crew member who really is alien. That you know they just couldn't do that with sixties television budgets, and they didn't have CGI and such back then. But so whenever people write TOS stories. They typically do bring A-Rex in. And he's the first person who they encounter here. And the the way that they find out kind of what's going on is this very kind a of, convoluted thing about how the emissions from the cloak have kind of shifted Spock into some situation because of because he's Vulcan. And I think he actually says that at one point. Doesn't he say, I'm Vulcan? Like that explains everything. Yeah, uh, he's of course. He's able to communicate um, with A-Rex, even though Kirk can't see A-Rex, and they're standing there together. Here here it
1: is. Yes, Captain, if I'm correct, when I attempted to shunt the power to the cloak, it sent a phased feedback pulse through the panel I was using. And so uh, that, that put him kind of on that same plane, so he could kind of see A-Rex, and he could also not completely be phased and and so yeah the best part about this is that somehow he's able to mind meld with a rex and kirk at the same time so that way kirk can see a rex and they can interact
0: i know and after he does it wow suddenly kirk can see a rex oh hey hey rex you're here (laughs) oh so i i sorry i missed you it
1: just must have been that whole phase time continuum thing Uh, thanks for the mind melds bach that really helped
0: yeah, it's it's something. So but anyway, it it's they're able using this method to then continue on with the story because somehow they had to make it possible for Kirk and Spock to be able to communicate with the rest of the crew. And so A Rex becomes kind of like a half phased liaison between Kirk and Spock and then everyone else on the Enterprise.
1: Yeah. Which uh, then they're able to kind of figure out a way to use the transporter, which Scotty and Arex have been working on to try and alleviate their problem to get the crew back. So uh, which, you know, I I enjoy the fact that they're bringing back, you know, um, when Kirk had been phased out, that they use the transporter there to rephase him back in so that they're using that logic. And so that that works. I, I enjoy that. So, you know, the story really starts to pick up, though, when they find out that um, the the Romulans themselves show up, which, um, you know, Kirk, at this point, he doesn't have any crew. It's just him, Spock, and A-Rex. They're trying to get people through the transporter, and then the Romulans show
0: up. Yep. And, of course, it is the same Romulan commander who... Kirk, seduced in the Enterprise incident,
1: which I loved that the the fact that they actually went there, they used that person, and what was really interesting, randomly, is that Sarek is with them too. They, they right. the reason that they're they're returning. I mean, they're in Federation space. Is that they're returning Sarek, who has gone to the Romulan people to see if he can open a dialogue with them, um, which is very interesting because then that sets up the whole idea that, you know, Spock would do that in um, unification, that he right. would be the person that would lead this. So I like that they're tying up so many things and adding so many things to, to what we know of in Star Trek. It's great.
0: Yeah. But like you said, randomly and, It was that feeling like Worf in the TNG movies where (laughs) somehow this alarm goes off for Worf. They're making a TNG movie. Somehow, I must get on the Enterprise. And there's always some reason why Worf happens to be in the area. It was kind of like that for me here, too. It's like Sarek heard, they're writing a TOS comic. I must be in there. And so conveniently, this Romulan ship happens to be passing through the same part of space carrying Sarek and therefore he's able to get into the story.
1: Yeah, that part was was really funny too. Um, <laughs> it, it is very much like Insurrection where Worf talks about, oh, it was at the Manzar colony, and he actually fades out. Like You can't really hear what he's saying anymore because it doesn't matter. It Worf's doesn't ear matter. deal with it. It's like know? the
0: best thing for us to do is just fade out that conversation so that fans cannot debate whether it made sense or not. It just, it just exactly. happened to be there. <laughs> oh, goodness.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that this is this is um, also excellent story, right? In the sense that we also get to see um, the repercussions for this Romulan officer and what had happened to her. And I really like this um, all coming together and what DC is trying to do here. Um, and uh, it's it's excellent. In fact, I also really like that kirk is trying to bluff her and she says oh, oh no no you you can't bluff your way out of this one kirk we we see we found your distress beacon and it clearly states that your ship's been deactivated um and that there isn't anybody coming and so right. I, I really like that it kind of backfires
0: on him except <laughs> he's so... like oh no that's just part of the test you know yeah just... exactly
1: yeah oh goodness kirk
0: Well, so the first comic ends with the arrival of this Romulan ship. And we've already started talking about the second issue a bit as we talk about how, you know, Sarek is with them and they come on board. And isn't it funny when the Romulan commander is showing Kirk the distress beacon as she calls his bluff? And apparently Federation distress beacons are somehow designed based on George Foreman grills. Cause you you could you could smoke some meat in this thing, I think.
1: Well, the, the, see, that's the that's the great thing about the distress beacon, Chris, is that if you send one out, um, and somebody picks it up, um, or, you know, you you get lost on a planet and all you have is your distress beacon, it also doubles as a George Foreman grill. So you know you kill <laughs> that nice um, Targ beast thing or whatever, and then you're able to. Get some nice lean meat from it and I see. Un- cook so, it. Yeah, so exactly.
0: You, you take that little dome lid off, you put the meat mm-hmm. in there, or you put yep. some rocks up underneath it, and then you phaser the rocks, and then you just wait six to eight hours, and you've got some great smoked meat. Exactly. It's like a cross between a
1: George Foreman and a crock pot.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, or a slow cooker for
1: those slow, who... Don't. Or those, those, yeah, uh, exactly.
0: those big smokers that we use down there in the south, as you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, exactly.
1: Yeah. Mm. yeah, This the meat's falling off the bone at that That's point. Right. It's
0: delicious. That's what it looks like. <laughs> anyway, so she calls this bluff, and, you know, there's this battle. They start using the transporter to phase people in and out, as we talked about. And, uh, and then you get to the scene of the Romulan commander talking to one of her officers, and... The only thing that I took away from this particular page is that female Romulan officers can really rock those thigh-high leather boots.
1: Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, and that's something we really haven't talked about yet is, is in general, the artwork in here really captures the look and the feel of TOS um, very well. I mean, every scene here, it feels like the costumes. It, it, it feels like the look, it feels like the lighting, actually, that you get from a TOS episode.
0: It does. The lighting, too. That's right. So, they have
1: done a very good job, and, and yes, um, this Romulan commander looks just as good as she did in the original episode. So, uh, no fear there. Absolutely. Well, then, and then this is my favorite part, Chris, is that the Romulan ship shoots the Enterprise. And again, you get the wonderful thing that you can do with uh, Techno babble. Oh, they can shoot us, uh, but they can't actually hit us because we're phased, but I'm still sitting in my command chair. Um,
0: right, Kirk so is, the ship is understand. phased, the weapons go right through the ship, but Kirk and Spock are not phased. So wouldn't they just be floating in space, or if the Romulans happened to fire in just the right spot, would they actually be able to zap Kirk and Spock?
1: See, this is what I was thinking, um, because they haven't been on the ship as long, so they aren't actually as phased. So yeah, you should, it seems like, be able to pinpoint Kirk and Spock and actually kill them, um, but maybe I'm putting a little bit too much thought into You're putting this.
0: too much thought in this comment, okay. I believe. Uh, okay uh yeah i'll let it go what we do see in this comic is in star trek five when they have to do the crash landing into the shuttle bay and uh sulu says it's the first time he's ever tried it i know where they got the inspiration from though and it's from this event right here where the romulans actually crash their shuttle into the enterprise shuttle bay which
1: is actually a really cool scene, just really well-drawn. It looks action-packed. I mean, you can imagine this happening. And uh, this, you know, Chris, we haven't talked about this, but this comic makes me wish that they would do more animated series stuff for TOS because um, this would be such a fantastic... uh, animated TOS episode or episodes, you know, great arc to do, um, some really, uh, well done stuff. So uh, if you're listening, uh, Paramount CBS, just, just asking you for, uh, some animated Star Trek.
0: Definitely. But with less pink than the well, original animated series,
1: I guess, uh, you know, you don't like the pink walls that, you know, the nice, uh, <laughs> pink fluorescent light shining on the walls because they didn't have enough money for paint
0: even in the animated series they didn't have enough money for paint they couldn't paint those walls well that's
1: true in the animated series (laughs)
0: though so many of the alien ships are actually like this pink color that's what i'm talking about less pink yes yes yes. (laughs) so uh, but but yeah i mean not just an arc but this story is big enough that you could do an actual animated movie out of this story you, you could take two hours to tell this entire story
1: yeah exactly these if you put all five of these together they do really create a nice uh storyline that would create a movie because it, it reminded me of the way that you know they had taken space seed and and taken the genesis of that and it pulled all that together to turn it into the wrath of khan and that's really what dc fontana did here she's taken a bunch of these episodes and pulled them together to create uh, something that would make a great film or an animated film. Uh, So, yeah, I I really wish that um, they would go back and do something like this. You you know, even if you don't have the original cast's voices, uh, Clone Wars showed you can, fans will accept other people doing great voice work um, for that. So bring it on.
0: Well, moving on through here, we talked about how Kirk and Spock aren't really phased, but the ship is phased, and then A Rex is in this half phase state. And then, then they use the transporter to beam a lot of the crew, Scotty as well as a lot of the other crew, back into phase with them. And then they lose gravity on the ship. And then a battle ensues between Kirk's crew and the Romulan boarding party. And since there's no gravity, at least in parts of the ship, they're floating around. And some of the scenes make me, they remind me of Aquaman underwater, but take the water away. (laughs) It's funny because I was actually thinking they
1: remind me of uh, Christopher Nolan's Inception, where they have that whole battle that takes place inside the hotel hallway where you're spinning around and they're... Um, there's no gravity and that's really what this reminds me of so oh, yeah. it's a really cool scene actually
0: it is cool and it's great for a comic it gives you that uh, action that you expect from a comic of this style. exactly even if it there's there's so much stuff going on here though that again don't try to rationalize what's happening in each part of the ship
1: yeah if you if you do you probably are going to be disappointed Uh,
0: Because it's it's not going to make sense. (laughs) But even though that doesn't make sense, the overall storyline does make sense. The dialogue makes sense for the most part. And this whole entanglement between the Romulans and the Klingons and the crew of the Enterprise and Section 31 is very, very interesting.
1: So, yeah, what's great about this is that, you know, you get to the end, uh, the uh, crew of the Enterprises is, is able to take on the Romulans, um, and then they're also able to get this um, really not well-done cloaking device. It's got too many bugs, and this is where we get our first introduction to Section 31. Um, and uh, the guy who's coming to take the cloaking device away um Kirk asks him, what section are you with? And he says, 31, sir. And then Kirk says, small section. Don't see many of you out this way very often. I hope you can figure out what's wrong with our new toy. And then ominously, the Section 31 agent says, we plan to, sir. Believe me, we plan to. Uh, Which is interesting because, of course, what DC Fontana is setting up is the Pegasus episode and what uh, Riker then is involved in. So really, really fun, fantastic writing, because there's so many different nods, and you can tell that Fontana is so steeped in Star Trek lore. It's just kind of seeping out of her (laughs) pores
0: at this point. It's it's really great. Well, let's not forget she headed up the animated series as well. So not only TOS, but all of these uh, TAS elements, that exactly can be tied in exactly. as well. She knows it all better than anyone.
1: And then you you the, the next uh, issue really switches gears. Um, you start on the Klingon ship with Kor, who has been dishonored because of Kirk and what's happened in the Errand of Mercy. He's still really pissed off about it, and he has repeatedly been trying to. Um, take over this planet um, that the Organians have been um, protecting. And he's constantly going back there trying to take over this planet. I thought that was really interesting. This guy cannot let it go.
0: That's right. He really cannot let it go. And there's uh, an excuse here about, I believe it's dilithium resources, they could power the Federation for 50 years, and the Klingons don't want the Federation to have access to that. But, of course, we find out that there's a little bit more going on here than, than mere dilithium that the Klingons are after.
1: Exactly. And then you get this great scene uh, in the Enterprise where the captain has been doing his personal log, and then he's in sick bay, and he's doing the great wall run, uh, Kirk has <laughs> his shirt off, even, <laughs> uh, you know, even animated here in comic form shatner looks fantastic yeah so
0: i knew you were gonna mention this (laughs) because when i saw him doing his wall run i like matthew's gonna mention the wall run and then yeah it's classic tos you've got you got him doing the wall run you've got him shirtless got a towel wrapped around his neck and, and then he puts on his green tunic it's just absolutely right out of tos
1: well, and this is where you really continue that story with Kirk. Um, and uh, he talks about how he doesn't want to talk about it with Bones, what's going on with Carol. And, uh, and I, I like that because it adds to um, what's going on in, in Kirk's life at this point. And um, all of these things are kind of piling up for him. There's a lot going on with him as captain, and there's a lot going on with the Federation, and on top of that, he has all of this, you know, drama going on in the background of his mind with his family that he's estranged from. And um I like that. It, it it's it's adding a lot of great depth to these characters that I already know, but I don't know how Kirk went from being the five year mission guy to being the guy I see in, you know, uh especially in The Wrath of Khan.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing how DC was able to mix all this action that's going on surrounding both the Federation cloaking project and the Klingon interest in this planet with these background stories of the characters. Because there's the one here with Kirk. You know, we actually get to see Carol. We get to see a young David out here as well. and And then later on, as we'll talk about when we get to it, and you mentioned earlier, we get the scene with Bones and with his daughter, Joanna, and even in the artwork, a mention of Jocelyn, who again, we just talked about Jocelyn on here two weeks ago when we talked about shadows on the sun. Yeah.
1: And um, of course too, this is a really different take on what had happened with um, McCoy and Jocelyn. The fact that, uh, you know, it wasn't the affair it was just the fact that McCoy was working too much. And he kind of comes off more as a jerk in this comic, I think, um, than what uh, Freeman had done with him. Um, you know, McCoy comes off more as the, the he's responsible in some ways, but, you, you know, his, his, why, Jocelyn's really the one who makes the, the big mistake. Um, and in uh, this comic, I thought it was interesting because he really does come off somebody who seems to put his duty over his family, which I never would have pictured somebody like McCoy doing. Um, so uh, that for me just felt really out of character. Um, I I didn't, I I didn't really like that scene. Um, with, uh, Joanna and, 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 and bones. Um, because it, it
0: didn't feel right. Now that you bring it up, yeah, I agree. It did seem out of character for him. What I did find interesting about it is the fact that writers keep going back and revisiting those moments in McCoy's past, and and everyone puts their own little spin on it.
1: Well, and it's something that's really—I mean, I guess they think of it as really driving McCoy. But uh, you know what? I'd I'd love to see you know just some writers do is is really talk more about McCoy as who he is as a person, not just because of these past events. I mean, I feel like those have been talked about ad nauseum. Um, You know, give me McCoy now and who he is and and maybe uh, further his character. You know, give him an actual love interest that he stays with for a lot longer um, after that he can finally let go, you know, uh, or something like that. I don't know. Just give me something new. Someone who doesn't live inside an asteroid, right? Exactly. You know, um, where they think, uh, you know, the sky is something you can touch. So
0: That's right. (laughs) Well, as we move on through the comic and we head towards this bit with bones that comes later on, uh, we we have a Klingon attack on this Federation planet here. At least there's a mining uh, operation going on there. And the Enterprise is dispatched to respond. And I like here where there's the scene, they approach station K-22. And in the artwork, the station is just shattered. I mean, this like fragments of the station floating all over the place. And then on the next page, Kirk says K-22. And Spock says, the debris field contains sufficient mass and the markings leave little doubt the station has been destroyed and i'm like spock do you need to run a scan D- did you actually look out the window there's barely anything left it's just fragments floating in space right yes i agree with you there is little doubt that the station has been destroyed that's my feeling on it
1: yeah this is that was that was funny i, I felt like that was one of those scenes where You know, if McCoy had been on the bridge, he would have been like, damn it, man, of course it's the station. We all know it's the station. You don't have to run a scan to tell me that. Uh, Because, (laughs) yeah, seriously, you needed a scan to tell you that all that debris was the station that's supposed to be there but isn't there.
0: Right. (laughs) That would have been a good scene. Uh, But uh, not to talk too much about the rest of this one because it's a lot of action. But uh, they get down to the planet. They have a confrontation with Klingons, and it's I think I think it's spot on TOS feel of a battle between the uh, Enterprise crew and the Klingons. But I think it goes beyond what we saw on television because they can do a lot more here with the open spaces that they have in the comic. Uh, something that they really couldn't do with location shooting in the 60s. So it feels kind of like that epic battle that we may, might would have wanted to have in an episode like Aaron of Mercy that we didn't really get to have. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of the battle that they did get to have on Enterprise where uh, they did have to trap the Klingons who were coming and and stealing from the co- the colonists but, but even beyond that.
1: Yeah, this is, uh, again, this is just really good work and, and it makes you feel exactly like you're a part of, uh, a TOS episode. Um, and, uh, I love that, um, you know, uh, they are able to secure the colonists. They're able to get a prisoner as well from, the, uh, and they, they go back to, uh, the planet that, um, the Klingons had attacked and they find this city that uh, is underground, which just looks amazing and massive. Uh, It looks like a a city that you might see in one of those great old sci-fi series. You know, it it actually reminds me a little bit of Oz, except it's not green. Yeah, it does. Um, And so I I like that. remember,
0: the Emerald City was not actually green. The Emerald City was... Was white and everyone was wearing green glasses. So, if oh, the sh- the crew yeah. of the shuttlecraft here, the Galileo, if they all put on green glasses, it might look just like the Emerald yeah. City to them.
1: Um, in fact, uh, you know, you might uh, see Munchkins walking around and things <laughs> like that. So, um, and then of course this leads us straight into to chapter four or issue four, and you find out this is where the preservers come in um, that this is a, a city uh, that the preservers have left here. And and this is what I found was really interesting. So this comic does this and then it tells us where the galactic barrier came from yeah. and why it doesn't exist anymore later on, which I thought was really fascinating um, that the preservers had created the galactic barrier uh, to protect all of the species that they were seeding around this part of the galaxy. And they um, their goal was basically to protect their children by putting a fence around this part of the galaxy. I just thought that was really interesting. And it made a lot of sense because we don't see the galactic barrier um, really after this. And um, I, I liked that they answered why it's gone right um, in a really kind of smart way.
0: Yeah, it's like there were all these little things that were bothering DC, and so she set out to explain these just little items here and there and scattered them in, into these comics. Uh, this comic for me, the the cover of the standalone comic, I love because you've got oh, that's nice as a line, And I love the fact that with basically nothing more than painting a mustache and a little goatee on Sulu. They can make him a Klingon in TOS and just dress exactly. him up in some Klingon garb, and and he's standing there talking to other Klingons. And yeah, that's it's fine. And 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 the Klingons are thinking, okay, yeah, here's another one of us, and they've got a prisoner. It's just so easy.
1: Yeah, I. That was one of the funniest things about this. I was like, "Wait, that's your plan, Kirk? You're going <laughs> right. to turn um you're going to you're going to turn him into a a Klingon." Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> okay, I, sure. that's great. That's great. Um and then you have this whole little part where this um this commander uh or this this flag officer of the fleet uh meets up with this Romulan and this is really where that Romulan plot comes in at the very yeah. very end. Uh, with Section 31, the Romulans, and the Klingons, and they're all working in together in cahoots somehow, and they're all using each other. And this is where the, uh, DC answers um, that um, the Klingons get the Romulan cloaking device from Section 31 arranging them getting it, which I don't understand how that works and why that works. Um, I really wish that they would do year four, part three, so they could explain that to me because (laughs) I still don't get it. Maybe it's just, I didn't read closely enough. I need to go back and reread it again, but I wasn't speeding my way through this. So, uh, you know, maybe I just missed something.
0: Maybe there's something shady and possibly ill conceived going on between Section thirty one exactly. in the Romulans. That part sure. I got. <laughs> um, earlier in this issue, I love when Kirk and Spock discover the obelisk, which is how they know that the Preservers are involved here. It's the same obelisk that they discovered on Amaranth in the Paradise Syndrome, and the artwork is really, really beautiful. And again, for me, you know, the Paradise Syndrome is kind of a throwaway episode of TOS it's what I mean by that is when I think of TOS it's one of those episodes that I really don't think much about and I kind of forget that it's there until I get back to it and then I remember oh yeah it's this weird one where Kirk thinks that he's a Native American and and I just find it very interesting that DC picks up the idea of this obelisk and expands what that means within uh, the galaxy, beyond the planet Amaranth.
1: Well, and I think it's what's uh, really interesting
0: is because it will play in later
1: on when you see the next generation and um, them finding the you know the seeding of the Preservers and finding out how they uh, and why they all kind of look alike as a, so a species. You're talking and...
0: about the chase.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So you're connecting the preservers from the Paradise Syndrome with the alien woman. I guess she's a woman at the end of the chase. Exactly. Is it ever actually said that they're the same people, though? No, but,
1: you know, DC talks about through the Organians here at the end that the Metrons were also the children of the preservers. Mm -hmm. and that the Preservers, um, they're just older children and obviously have been around a lot longer than we have, and that they have um, been tasked with kind of watching over everyone that the Preservers had seated. Um, And they realize at this point that they need to take a step back and that they need to let now... Basically, they need their own prime directive not of non-interference with these races. And so that's why I was connecting them with, with the race we see in the chase.
0: Okay. Well, it, it makes sense. And that's it's very interesting to look at it that way. I had never really thought about that. Although the chase is, for me, it's one of my favorite episodes of TNG. And it's an episode that I know a lot of people don't like. But I just think the idea that there was this first race that seeded the oceans it's kind of an interesting explanation even if you know biologically it probably doesn't make any sense but it's kind of well kind and of interesting. then if
1: you've seen Prometheus that's exactly what happened so which is a horrible movie don't watch it gave me a seizure but yeah that's that's actually the the way that they pick up um, human life beginning was a alien race came yeah. and seeded our oceans so
0: yeah well as we move on through here um, we don 't want to give away you know too many details of the story because these are really, as we said, really dense comics, so even though we 're taking you through the basic plot, definitely pick these up and and read through, and you 'll find that we 're just barely scratching the surface of what 's going on here so um as we keep moving through uh we end up of course, I already mentioned their plan of disguising Sulu as a Klingon he pretends Kirk and Spock are prisoners. And then we get kind of into the meat of the Klingon portion of the story because in the first two issues we were dealing with the Romulans and then the third one was kind of a transition into the Klingon story.
1: Yeah, and I thought it was great to have uh, Kor back in here uh, mm-hmm. trying to regain his honor. You know, uh, she does a great job of of connecting the TOS Klingons which are very much more like Ferengi in some way with um the you know the Klingons that we see in the next generation that are very honor bound they're really worried about um you know what th- happens with their houses and their family and this this core is is very upset because of of what has happened in the era of mercy has ruined him and his family and their honor and he's trying to regain that and uh it really helps bring everything together in a way that makes sense. Uh, like, I buy it that, that this is what's going on and this is yeah. how he feels. So it's very good.
0: Yeah, I agree. So she did a great job of that. And then as we move into the final comic here, uh, it opens up with a flashback to Spock and Sarek on Vulcan and we get the same uh, little area that we see in a mock time. And uh, that helps bring us into the present day of the story where i i guess basically spock is trying to mind meld with the obelisk is that what's going on here matthew
1: that's what i saw too uh well actually it's not the obelisk itself it's just like uh, the control panel that they had uh, found in the paradise syndrome and uh so spock is trying to uh, find a way to meld with that because they feel like um, Vulcan physiology might work better and uh, he's able to do that, um, yeah. which is really interesting. Well, and, why not? I mean, uh, you know,
0: we saw in the Changeling, we saw Spock mind meld with Nomad, a space probe. So mm-hmm. why not mind meld with a control panel on an obelisk? Exactly. But one important note, Matthew, you have to wear the the glowing... Indian headband before you initiate the mind meld,
1: Chris. I'm I'm always wearing the glowing headband. Is that bad? I mean, it looks great on me, don't you think?
0: It does. That's why you're so insightful.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, well, <laughs> I you know I I keep interfacing with the preservers and and they tell me things and yeah, it's not really my genius. It's theirs. So. um <laughs> What's great about this, though, too, is this really does turn into the chase for TOS because the Klingons are racing. They're trying to find the, the next hidden city, the next hidden place where uh, the the uh, preservers have hidden um, one of these obelisks and control panels. And the Federation, you know, Kirk and, and the Enterprise are doing the same thing. And I like that finally they get to this asteroid belt um, and... Kirk and Spock are are transported over with Eric's to the Metron's um, little lair here. And we finally get the answers to what's been going on in the background, why the Metrons haven't been helping guard and protect, um, and also the background for the preservers as well. So DC Fontana really takes all this and weaves it all back together and I don't want to give away everything. So, Chris, I think it might be time for us to just kind of talk about our final thoughts and, uh, you know, ratings for this so that we don't give the entire story away.
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, my final thoughts, well, you mentioned that Kirk, Spock, and A-Rex get beamed over. And I was just thinking that A-Rex has a lot to do in here. You know, on, on TOS, Sulu and Chekhov... Manu her they didn't get much to do. And now here in the comics, they're once again being shoved into the background in favor of A-Rex, who wasn't even on the television series. So, poor guys. But my <laughs> my overall uh, final thoughts on it is that this is a fantastic comic series. Uh, I love that it was written by DC Fontana because I can't think of anyone better to pull all these pieces together than her and make it believable and make you feel like you're still watching the television series, but on a higher level, like getting so much more meat to the story than we got, even on the television series, which already had great stories. I think the artwork is fantastic. We mentioned earlier that they even are able to capture the lighting of the enterprise in some areas as it would have appeared on the television series characters look like the characters, not only the Enterprise crew, but Kor, the Romulan commander, even the Organians, they they look like you would expect them to. And the writing is spot on. The voices are fantastic. And if, if you love the original series, you really, really need to read this comic, these five comics or five chapters, if you get the trade paperback. It's it's brilliant work, and I'm going to give this 10 Amarin Preserver Obelisks.
1: Oh, goodness. That is a fantastic rating. Well, Chris, um, I really, really like uh, this comic series. Um, like you said, I, I don't really think I can add a lot to what you said because you really said it all. Um, but DC Fontana has written a fantastic series that should be read by every TOS, every Star Trek fan, really adds a lot to the films that we see later on, especially for the TOS era, even the Next Generation era, and giving us um, a great taste of uh, Section 31 and what they were up to and how they connect with a lot of these things. Um, All in all, I I can't recommend this highly enough. I really like the trade paperback edition. I think it's fantastic. It's really well done. It has all the great um, covers and collections in the back as well, so you don't miss that. Um, so if you're looking for a way to collect, this is a perfect thing to, you know, just go on Amazon, order it up. Uh, you can get it from Barnes and Noble or something like that as well. Um, but I don't think you'll be sorry for reading this and it's, it's a meaty read. You know, I think a lot of people think of comics as being something you just kind of sit down and read in five minutes. Uh, this will probably take you closer to an hour to sit down and read the whole thing because there's so much text. There's so much going on in here. You really want to pay attention. Um, and I can't, uh, again, recommend this highly enough. And so if I was if I was going to uh, rate this comic, Chris, I'd have to go 10
0: out of 10 A-Rexes. Oh, wow. Wow. So that would give you 30 arms and 30 legs, wouldn't it? Yeah,
1: exactly. So (laughs) that's a mess of arms right there.
0: All right. Well, it's been great talking about these comics today. So let's tell everyone where to find us if they'd like to share their thoughts on these comics or any other comics or any other books, you can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose literary treks. And that'll come right to us. You can also hop into our forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can find a section there for literary treks. You can also find one for TOS uh, as the theme of today's show. And uh, also you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash And you'll find us on Twitter under username Trek FM. And Matthew, what if people would like to find you personally?
1: Yeah, you can find me Chris at Matt rushing02 uh on Twitter talking about all sorts of different things. So look me up, find me there. Let me know you're following me. We'll talk about uh whatever's interesting to you. Star Trek, uh Deep Space 9, any of the actually the versions of Star Trek. Um and of course the literary universe comics books i also like comics outside of star trek as well i'm a big dc fan so things like that um and then of course you know movies uh music all sorts of stuff
0: you're not reading that new my little pony series from idw are you
1: chris you weren't supposed to share that
0: on the show oh sorry it's
1: pretty personal god i keep um, doing that sorry okay well i'm just gonna hope that you erase this part and that nobody <laughs> hears it because you're hurting my
0: feelings all right right. We'll, anyway, this uh secret.
1: yes my little pony i'm um, a huge fan <laughs> um now i guess everybody knows it oh goodness and then of course chris we do the orb um, where we talk deep space nine all the time so hopefully uh if you're a fan or you just would hope to want to get into deep space nine you'll check us out there as well now chris Um, I've noticed that you're starting to kind of phase in and out of space-time continuum here. You know, uh, your cloaking device may be off. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you before you disappear?
0: Yeah, I better hurry because I tried touching my keyboard and my hand went right through it. But luckily, I can still sit in my chair. I'm not falling through the chair, so... I'm okay there. You can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that username. You can also find me on my personal website, which is finally online again. I did a whole overhaul of the entire design and, and the content as well. And that's at cbrianjones.com. And you'll also find me every week on The Ready Room, where we talk about all five live action series, as well as special topics and movies. And Matthew, you're on there with me quite often. And this week, we just celebrated our 100th show, and Matthew co-hosted, and we have eight other hosts from across the network for this gigantic discussion of 100 things we love about Star Trek. So please go over and check that out at trek.fm slash trr100 if you haven't heard that already and also while you're online if you like the show we would love for you to drop by itunes it only takes about 30 seconds for you to leave a star rating and a written review it helps other listeners find the show and we love to hear from you so we would love for you to drop by and rate us and we really appreciate everyone who has already done that and lastly matthew before we let everyone go we'd like to tell you about our sponsors for today's show Of course, there's Squarespace. It's uh, combined hosting and CMS. It's the best way you'll find to build a professional website, a personal blog, a portfolio, or an online store. And as a -a Film listener, you'll save 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. Just go to squarespace.com and use offer code TREK6 to get your discount. And also, we'd like to thank Trekfan. Trekfan.org is not just a Star Trek fan club. It's a challenge. You'll explore new places, you'll learn new things, and you'll collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles and complete real-life mission objectives. And along the way, you'll win great prizes. We've been hearing some good things about this from listeners who have already visited the website and solved that very first challenge. So try it for yourself. Go to trekfan.org and get in on this very unique opportunity for Star Trek fans.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long. And read on.
0: You call that light reading? To each his own,
1: number one.